Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 480 of the Constructive Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host. He's back. He's ready to attack. It's Abe Stein. Howdy doody there, Spencer. Howdy doody, Abe. And Mason Clark. I'm so excited to talk about magic. I have been in the Lorcana tank, but I'm back in magic full swing. I'm so excited to talk about my favorite format. Oh, shoot. Is this not a Lorcana podcast? Thank God it's not. <laughs> well, today we'll be talking about uh, many people's favorite format in Modern. Modern is turned to a very interesting format. Uh, got the chance to watch some, uh, play some, talk about some this week. It'll be a fun one. Before we do that, we're always talking about always improving on the show. The point of this show is to be trying to get better, to be better than you were yesterday. And Abe, with you out, we're going to let you go first. What have you been doing to be always improving? Yeah, so um, the last couple of weeks, I have been able to have the opportunity to play some RCQs, and especially get into like, the modern streets, which has been really great. I have put down Hammer for the time being, which we might get to a bit later, and I would talk about a couple episodes ago in passing. But um, I have been playing Scam, and a big thing that has really been um, kind of helping me have a lot of success with Scam has been like really leaning into the idea of, of Cyber Guides being loose, and especially with a deck like Scam, where it's so situational, decks can be built in modern right now, at least with so much flexibility. Just embracing like looking at the game in front of me and thinking about the play patterns in it and the cards that I have rather than trying to kind of say like, oh, it's this matchup, I do this, especially when it comes to the mirror matches. Like I've been kind of rebuilding and recrafting my sideboard based on what I'm seeing in the RCQs I've been playing. Uh, there's been like a lot more rise of like Domain Zoo and like falls falling off of like Tron and Amulet and stuff like that in my local metagame. So really adapting to that, but then also using that to adapt to, okay, what is it I want to be doing in the mirror match? Do I think these people have ley lines, you know, based on them having ley lines, how does that change my sideboarding? For example, there's a match I played against um, Jarvis at last week where um, we had spent a little bit of time before the tournament talking about um, how he had Nihil spell bombs um, instead of ley lines. And that was kind of how he was trying to approach his graveyard hate, was to be a little bit more on the side of having cards that were better for longer games interaction, whereas I had ley lines. And so um, when it came time for sideboarding, normally I'm like pretty low on the scam effects, but knowing that he had no way to entirely blank them had me leaving in more of them, um, especially on the play, and also knowing that he knew that I had ley lines, boarding out less of my, like, knotted afteralls and things like that. Uh, knowing he would board out more of them, not needing my ley lines, but then kind of seeing us, like, both going back to sideboards, coming for game three. It was just this really, um, like, cool moment of, like, realizing I'm playing the shell game with my opponent and really engaging with that rather than kind of, like, being someone who's only playing on that first level of this is what I'm supposed to do. And, uh, you know, I think that's the only mirror I've lost in this game mirror with Jarvis there. Um, I think he just like had the better draws, got the better of me a bit, and also had out shell gamed me uh, in that game three, kind of being prepared for the landlines. He saw me going back to my sideboard, whereas I wasn't prepared for him to bring back in Ragavans, and he went back to his. So it was kind of this uh, this cool game, and and really I just feel like through playing scam and really you know embracing the way the modern format is right now. I've really uh, leveled up in that way and, and seen the results. So. Kind of a small anecdote. What percentage of shell games do we think involve Ragavan in modern? I'd say at least half. 
It's like a lot of them, right? Maybe like a third. I think it's like Ragavan, Blood Moon, and Leyline are like the three culprits right now. I don't know how you feel about it, Mason. Yeah, maybe a Bowmaster to that too. I think that's um, in the same like vein as Ragavan, though, right? As far as like what's happening, because you're not like boarding like, in or out Bowmasters. Sure, that's fair. Yeah, I was just thinking about the way you play your cards. Right, but yeah, no, that's fair. I think that that's reasonable. I, don't, I hadn't thought about it very much. It's a very interesting prompt. Yeah, I, I, we, we talk about it a lot when we're like most of the playtesting that me, Matt, and Quentin do these days. You know, is like on a Thursday online, and like we, we pick up a matchup or two and play them throughout the night and just discuss and you know talk about lines and like one of the most talked about cards is often Ragavan, whether or not we think that we should have it, whether or not that it's, you know, when to play it, stuff like that. So it's really interesting to hear that that was something that came up for Abe as well. What about you, Mason? What was your always improving this week? Mine isn't one that I, I kind of low-key want to make an episode, or pitch an episode to y'all about, and maybe we will, but I've been really thinking a lot about just kind of this statement and what it means, and it kind of ties into Abe's, but that heuristics are the death of tournaments. Like so often I feel like players make these game losing mistakes because they lean on heuristics as not something that is a tiebreaker or helpful when they're really tired or whatever, but they're using them almost like a map instead of like a suggestion. And there are some things that, you know, like if you do it every time, it's going to work out really well for you, right? Like the bolt, the bird, right? Like if you just kill their mana dork on one and don't let them have it in their mana dork deck, that often is going to work out for you way better than the other things but there are rare exceptions to that still and that is less what i'm talking about and more about things that like these players play a bunch and they come to conclusions that are drawn from their games that aren't really based on like too many things and then they start using heuristics and things like that to just decide their place for them and they aren't actually about the game in front of them and i've been thinking about this a lot because it's coming up a lot in coaching and then i played a lorcana invitational this past weekend and round one, I played against Frank Carson, and I was thinking about my hand, and I almost like kept a hand that I think was really bad in game one, because heuristically, I was a ramp deck, and I basically had rampant growth in hand. But against Frank's uh, aggressive deck, I needed to have like my grizzly bear, essentially, in order to contest his thing. And I almost, I think, made a fatal flaw at the very beginning of the tournament, and it's sort of rung in my head what I've been talking about in coaching of like heuristics or the death of tournaments. Like I didn't even consider mulliganing it when I probably should have against him. And, you know, I ended up actually just redrawing another one, which, you know, happens or whatever. But, like, I was happy that I did that, and I was really plugged in all weekend where, you know, I wasn't leaning on heuristics. I hadn't grinded thousands of games, but I knew what mattered in matchups, and I thought about things each turn and led to a lot of plays I think are sometimes a bit counterintuitive. You don't know what you're playing towards and having a game plan. So I, I don't know exactly, but I basically I'm just – I'm noticing that people are losing a lot of games because they're just like, it's kind of like what Abe said, they are sideboarding, right? It's like, yeah, like you don't have your Ragavans in and the Rakdosphere. And it's like, well, if things change or like their deck is different or something like that, like you maybe do want Ragavans, right? But like you need to have a reason as to why you're doing these things. And so I I think it's interesting. Did we talk about that on the Pioneer episode? I feel like... I'm, I'm, I mean, I've been bringing it up a lot. It's been really like, through my mind like yeah. how do i turn this into like a helpful podcast episode yeah um because i do think it is big i think so many people just make plays and they're just like yeah this is what you do in this spot and it's like yeah is it it kind of it kind of goes along with you know the 
the the old CC episode, like I mean, you even mentioned it there. Just like having a why having a reason is so important, and mm-hmm. using heuristics to make your your decisions simpler is one thing, but using them as a law is is not what they're for. Yeah, yeah I think if they are the reason that isn't all if it's consistently the thing that shouldn't be it and they should be much more like tiebreakers you know what i mean like so yeah okay, two really tough spots what i do i think it's really important to remember just like as a player who's trying to get better that like heuristics like you can be misplaced ginger and play on heuristics and just play a thousand hours and you'll win a lot and eventually it'll all come together but if you don't have a thousands of hours or you want to like really try to push yourself to get better you should just be trying to make as many active decisions as possible versus like being a machine who's clocking in and like making the, you know, obvious best play on every turn and like playing the board effectively because there's just a lot of, like, I think when I, when I think about that, like there's a lot of opportunity to just be, you know, not playing to the heuristics, but playing to the game, right? As soon as you're falling back on things that are right, telling you what the game is supposed to look like without thinking about what the game you're actually playing looks like, you're kind of playing through eyes closed. Um, and so really trying to play with your eyes open rather than that gets you gets you far because because we're not right you're not a win rate robot you're not just like a maximizing machine all the time like sometimes you will have decisions that are just judgment calls and there are, are you know correct statistically correct or incorrect decisions you can make but there's a lot of context and a lot of like things you can do that can kind of shed more light on the decision you're making rather than having it be so in the dark yeah so for me this week was different for me. I was a stay-at-home dad to one child, to my little two-year-old princess, who I love dearly. I'm just going to shout her out. I think she's amazing. She's the easiest kid in the world, and I love her to death. Alicia is the best. And one of the things that Alicia will do is, in the morning, she'll allow me to, like, work on content stuff, and in the afternoon, she'll allow me to, like, you know, either play some matches of magic while she plays with toys or whatever. Like, she's, she's very content, just, like, being with dad as long as she gets to do something in the day. So this week was, I would say my always improving moment was looking for like the, the best way to use my time and looking for opportunities to maximize my time. You know, when you're looking for a job, you are a stay at home dad. You, you know, also are a content creator. There's, there's a lot of hours in the day that you get to try to maximize so that you don't have to burn as much as the candle as I'm often burning when I have a job and I'm doing all that stuff. So it's really good for my mental health and looking for opportunities, I think is sometimes something that needs to be an active effort rather than a passive thing where you're like, Oh, there's an opportunity for me to improve there. There's like actually looking for a moment to do this thing or that thing is really cool. So I, for example, I got to schedule some time um, to, uh, run a league with Matt Kling playing Boggles in Modern. And that was really interesting and enlightening about, we kind of had a disagreement about how the scan matchup would play out and, you know, getting getting to go through a league or two uh, was, was really enlightening, so. That's awesome. I'm glad you were able to, like, I don't want to say contextualize it, but, like, actualize and do it, I think is the word I'm looking for. So that's great. Happy it worked out for you. Yeah. Patreon shout out. So every week on the show, we like to shout out our newest patrons. Uh, we have Jeff and Big Grimy this week joining the family. Those those two. Big Grimy is a is a great Patreon username. I just want to say 
But shout out to them. Thank you so much for supporting the show. The show will always be free, but we always appreciate it when we get these these new patrons to be able to talk to and communicate with, uh, whether it's in the Discord or on Patreon or in the live shows. So uh, no housekeeping this week. So we're going to move directly on to our training grounds. It's a modern check-in. These are a little bit different than our... It's it's more like what we did last week, and it's not one of those episodes where we compile a bunch of data, present you with like here like the the best decks. Here's here's factually what's doing well in the winners meta game by you know by a math equation. This is these are the decks that we think are good. We're going to talk about them. What's the format about today and stuff like that. So let's talk about the winners meta, Abe. What's uh, what's going on in Frank Karsten's world? Yeah. So. Um... Frank Karsten's, like he posted on Twitter, what was this, like uh, a week or two ago? The best deck by quite a lot, and as far as being in the winner of metagame, is Rakdos Evoke, the, the scam deck. I think that's just like pretty cut and dry. If you've been playing a lot, I know I've had people, like people I've played against on Moto in leagues have been like, I've played against scam every single match this, this league. Or, uh, you know, I've played a lot of RSQs where half the room uh, has been scam. It's just like one of the best decks. It, uh, you know, for for good reason. Obviously, very powerful. It's one of the best PT as well. Um, you know, there's been some breakouts like the um, various newer builds of four color, like the Cascade, um, up the Beanstalk deck, the Bring the Light Scape Shift deck, um, Amulet Titan, Yogmoth, uh, Hardened Scales, Rhinos, you know, Murktide. A lot of the same, the same contenders you would think about for modern. You know, for the last six months or so, but kind of the the shakeout there has really been kind of scam staying at the top, and a lot of these things trying to bubble up to to, to pray. Yeah, let, I think we if we're gonna start anywhere in modern, we should start in, with scam. To me, like the reason these cascade decks and these bring light decks exist is to try to beat this deck. Do you guys think it's working? I, I think I pushed back a little bit on that's why they exist. I think. The way they're configured right now is like that. And so like that that is a big part of it. I do think it's starting to work a little. It's hard to know, right? Because like th- there have been a lot of things that have happened over the last two weeks, specifically when it comes to like four color stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later here. But like that is trick it takes like time for it to trickle down to paper. And that's where like those sort of things happen. So like for example, this being the Frank Carson post, like the modern October 2023. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, technically October, like much more like September, right? Like October's midway through right now. And things like the bean, for example, um, are still getting picked up by players and specifically cascade bean. So like, it's hard to know exactly. And there's a lot of like hesitance from players to like adopt things like that. But like, I can say that I've been like a pretty firm, like I'm just going to play Rakdos Evoke only. That is the deck I'm going to play. I think it is the best deck in the format. It has the most tools. It has the best mulligans out of every deck in the format, except Tron. Uh, it is powerful and proactive and has the ability to win any matchup. There's no matchup is like worse than like, you know, a little bit has favored them. Like it just, it's so hard for it to be that when your double grease being so strong. Um, and if they do figure out a way to make it super favored them, it typically involves losing to a bunch of other decks. So I've been a huge Rectus of a fan, but the four color Cascade Bean decks specifically, I think are playing a completely different game and honestly feel like Yu-Gi-Oh when I play them. Like it is not 
the same game. And I do think they are going to have to beat Evoke. And it's really about getting them in a place to beat everything else. I played the Bring to Light version of the deck. I I kind of put my money where my mouth was. As far as like a few weeks ago, we had talked about what decks I thought were the best decks in Modern. Mason and I, you know, had seen that, that Bring to Light deck and was like, I think this is different. I think this is where to be. Went and played that in an RCQ. My only RCQ this season, I, I talked a little bit last week, lost my winning in, and uh, one of the players there was playing the, the Cascade Bean deck, and we got we got the chance to talk about just four color in general. And I, I think that there are a lot of things going on with the met, the intermeta game of like, it's like an arms race while trying to beat Scam at the same time. And I think that it's kind of complicated, and it's putting you in a weird there's this weird pincer in modern now between these omnath slash bean decks and scam because no matter which version you're playing and for what it's worth i think that it's pretty clear that like the shardless agent versions uh playing to the board the way that they do might just be better it really shuts the door on a lot of things trying to attack the metagame because you can't out heart advantage the four color decks and then you, like, creature decks are just really bad against Fury. So it, it's really rough. And then you'd be like, oh, well, like, the answer is Hammer. And then it turns out that, you know, Solitude exists. See, it's funny. I think, um, I mean, I have the privilege of living in uh, an area where the local metagame is very, very quick to adapt. So, like, not last weekend, but the weekend before, where the Cascade Beans deck had broken out, there were maybe four or five players playing it locally. Like, they were, like, trying to, like, Attack the metagame and be like, all right, yeah, this is the the new thing. And I played against it, I think, three times with Scam, and I found very, very quickly that that deck has a very big problem with the card Orcs Bowmasters, and really has a problem with at least the configurations of playing against where we're having problems with me just casting threats every turn. Like, if I cast a single Thoughtseize to take one interactive spell and then cast any number of my threats and, like, play my Bowmasters correctly, I found that match to be a lot easier than. A lot of the like more traditional one ring, bring the light, scape shift, or like um, you know just like more omnath heavy builds of of four color. But I think it's like really hard to you know look past the fact that it still can overpower scam pretty easily. Like if, if it gets going and it's just drawing two to three cards per time it's interacting with you, you're gonna fall behind and you're gonna lose if it gets the opportunity. But it's like a lot better against things that aren't scam. Like than the other four color decks, I think. I think it's a lot harder to prey on. I think it always does the thing it needs to do to shut it out. And it also is a lot easier to maneuver because you really can actually just brute force through a lot of your problems, um, which is something that the four color decks previously can't necessarily do. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how, as that deck becomes more adapted in paper, like you were talking about, Mason, more people start to get their hands on it and play it and like see the matches play out how things start to adapt. I know that people online have started playing like Roiling Vortex in their scam sideboards to mm-hmm. kind of punish those being the premier cascade decks as opposed to things like Rhinos or Living End that, you know, actually demand you to have harder uh, like cascade punishes than just dealing five. Like if you just Lava Axe your, your Living End opponent, they don't really care if they just attack you for like 30 or like Rhinos can take five and then attack you for 16 over two turns and doesn't really, it can like win that race. But that specific build, I don't know how uh, how it'll fare once those things start to become more mainstream. But mm. overall, I think the four color decks are still kind of in the spot of being 
able to beat all the things that scam does with a little bit less consistency without having to engage in that same kind of like scam mirror. Like you have to do entirely different things to beat uh to beat the four color decks than to beat scam. That's the pincer I was talking about, right? The putting decks in between those two decks is almost impossible because the 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 modes in which you'll attack the two decks is just you're you're stuck. Sorry. Yeah, you need to have different like it requires differing game plans. I think it's interesting too because like for example, when Spike first showed the Cascade deck to the world, my first thought was like, why do we not have any cyborg cards that we can't Cascade into? And I replied to him, and he was like, ah, oh, it's not worth it. Those matchups are already good. And then when, like, Grinders on Moto and, like, Jerry started adding things like Inevitable Betrayal and Alpine Moon and Chalice to the deck, that's when it really felt like the deck took a step up to me. And I think that it's still not exactly where, like, I think there's still a lot of room to explore and try stuff. So it is really interesting because my starting point was I had a bunch of Leyline and Sanctities to sort of solve what you're talking about, right, Abe? Where it's like, Thought sees me, Bowmaster me, these are problems. And then I started bringing in Inevitable Trail now too, because just like taking your Shieldreds, taking your Bowmasters, your Furies, like taking those things from you is actually like, pretty backbreaking has been my experience just because like you said i need to answer sort of a threat all the time and just having my like shard list or blood right elf basically be like hey i'm a blocker for your thing that trades off in combat and here's another threat has been really devastating so i'm curious to see sort of how it evolves because like we are getting into like a shell game thing like we talked about at the beginning of the show where it's like what is going to happen as this continues down the line so did, I don't know. It's interesting. Did you guys happen to see the first place list from the challenge this weekend? Uh, I'm honest, no, I did not. Okay. Uh, so I think I think that the the first place list solves a lot of the things that you talked about. It was really funny, Mason. There were two different Omnath uh, Cascade decks in the top eight, and the one that won is the one that could side that could cascade into uh, Core Firewalker or Limvala. And the one that lost had zero cards that it could sideboard that it could cascade into. Also, both of the lists um, have kind of combined the bring to light version of the deck with the cascade version, and are on ardent please now over uh, over Bloodbraid Elf so that they could do that. And they're also both eighty five card decks. And one of the things that I found really interesting about this ch- this change is that it, to me it also speaks a lot to the mirror in the fact that. One of the things that we found uh, was the like the most important thing in the mirror was actually time warp, and so for that reason, you know, being a bring to light time warp deck lets you just win the mirror because it's no longer you're both going to draw as many cards as you want. So now it's about taking the most turns. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I agree. Time warp is very very good in the mirror. It's like the reason I have one of my main deck originally. Uh, you can see me play the deck on the Modern Super League, by the way. Check that out on YouTube. The other thing that I think that it tried to answer, um, you know, is is by playing Force of Negations, you know, it gets to it gets to interact at different speeds than it was before, and then also playing a bunch of one mana quote unquote removal throughout the game uh, and uh, in Murder's mm-hmm. Cut and things like that also are trying to help it be able to answer threats. Yeah, that's interesting. Force of Negation was a card I wanted to play, but I liked having the bodies from Bloodbraid Elf. Because uh, decking was a problem, so actually winning the game was good. And you obviously force negation plus Bright Red Elf, not a combo. Yeah. But now that's gone, thanks to Ardent Flea, which 
Loki also does help with winning the game too. And it's obviously very strong with both solitude and force negation. This is pretty cool. I, I don't love that I'm 70 cards, but it's not the worst thing in the world with all these cascaders. So I know this is a very interesting build of the deck. And I think the 70 cards is like a concession to what you're saying about Blubber and Elf, right? Like you draw so many cards that your cards in library actually is a pretty important finite resource to manage. It's actually why it's actually why time warp was so important too, right? It's because like you had to be able to close the game out. And because you just had a bunch of like dudes lying around from your cascade creatures, Time Warp just became this thing that both got to close up the mirror and also just like close up the game when you're like, okay, I'm going to deck myself. I actually just need a Time Warp now. Yeah, exactly. Like if you get to take more turns while also drawing the cards and everything, then, and also you're dealing like, you have an Omnath in play and like a Shardless Agent or whatever, like an extra turn there is what, six damage and like five cards or something, depending on what else you do in your turn. That's this huge. Yeah, I, I want to point out too that like, one of the builds by I don't know how to exactly say the first part of their username, but Dota, Archaeus Dota, I believe is how you say it. Um, they have Nahiri the Harbinger in their deck to help with winning, and a one of Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. And Emrakul is actually a card that I was wanting to play in my main deck for the Cascade Mirrors because you can endurance, but what ends up happening in these uh, four color mirrors is you end up solituding all the threats away over the course of the game. It becomes this weird shell game of like, well, we're endurancing, but we don't have threats. So Emrakul is a way to actually just move to hand size and discard and shuffle everything back. And just still, everyone's going to solitude each other, but you don't actually deck. And now that you have extra lands in the deck, it's actually a little bit more feasible to get Emrakul where like into play, sorry, where in my deck, it was actually kind of hard to cast Emrakul and took some real mega mine planning. So it's like um, 21 or 22 lands, right? Uh, no, this one is 27. Yeah, I had 22 lands. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, what I said, yeah. I had 11 lands that could produce mana, so you had to set up Omnath plus fetching the last land in order to put Emrakul into play. But yes, anyways, this is it is interesting. I, I will say this. I do not like the fact that 70-something cards is like the right way for things to go. You know what I mean? Like, if that's actually right, and the bean is so good that we only lose because we're decking and stuff like that, we're like, we need to have all these things. I, I really don't want the bean to be around then. <laughs> but that's a different conversation topic. That is literally what my team talked about this week. Okay, we, we talked about both these versions. We talked about them kind of combining. We talked about the scam matchup. Should we talk about the deck that's supposedly going to beat this? If it's the next one on our list. Yeah, go I'm for it. I'm calling Cap. I'm calling Cap. It- Call it. Yeah, I mean, Amulet Titan's up next here. Uh, Amulet Titan, so this is a deck that, like, let's take a time machine back to when Mason had no gray hair and was winning all the time, and it's Yorion four-color. This was a time when people thought Amulet Titan was one of the best decks against four-color, and I think it was a winning deck against four-color, especially if, like, skill level was the same. I think the Amulet player won those games, and then, like, you know, if you were better, then it, like, evens out, and then if you're worse, it's, like, you know, good for the four-color player and vice versa. But Right now, with the way these decks are built, I don't actually don't think it's a problem because what would happen is, as an amulet player, you kind of won one of two ways, right? Like you had your turn two slash three kills and you overwhelmed them because it was so quick, uh, or you like chain threats and the chaining of the threats was what won, and you did that and were able to win because your opponent couldn't actually keep up with cards with you. And as these like one rings become more popular, and I'm sorry, the one ring deck and then the cascade bean decks become more popular, you actually just have all the cards like all the time. And it's very easy to beat Amulet. I would say that it is like not a matchup I would choose to play against, but it is one that if I ran into like three times over the course of the tournament, I would not be complaining about. You know what I mean? So 
I also don't think that deck is good against Scam. So I really struggle with, like, why am I playing Amulet? Because I think you are not very good against Scam, even with them moving the Blood Moons away from the main deck. Like, just on a, like, core level, what Scam is doing, I think, is strong against Amulet. So I would love to be proven wrong slash have a conversation if someone disagrees, but I'm really stumped as to, like, why this is the case. No, I, I think that, for what it's worth, that I have had similar feelings about this, especially in the Scam world. The number of times where, you know, me, me and my friends have talked about, like, oh, like, we should we should consider Titan or Scapeshift specifically has come up a lot. Um, in fact, Matt even played Scapeshift in a, in a challenge a few weeks ago. And the thing is, is, like, yeah, you'll... I, well, on the Scapeshift side, I do think that you'll dumpster these four-color decks uh, just because of, like, they're not playing Counterspell anymore. I guess they're playing Force of Negation now, though. But anyway, my, my point is is that I, I do think that, that would be a rough matchup for these decks. But on the Titan side, like, okay, so I get a bean into play. And if you don't kill me, I untap, and now, what? like, what happens here? I play I, like what what what's the what's the sequencing here, Mason? Where I I just solitude your thing, I kill it with a, a ley line, and then we you start over again. You once again play a titan. I kill it with solitude or ley line, and we start again. Is that is I, that? I mean, you, it can't it can't be ley line is the problem. Ley line's not a good plan against titan because it would save you. So the first the first titan gets packed bounce land. Then you're in like let's say I binding you Spencer, and then you're yeah. on your next time you go lull yeah. bounce land, uh, Bosage you get my other Titan back. That one gets the next Titan, so you need yeah. to end with your bindings and then start with your solitudes. Sure. And obviously there's some out of like you know binding is really good if they go for the haste because they go for the haste and they like uh, don't have a chain going, but like it, it is creating a weird spot where it's like you have to like have a lot of it. And you need to consistently have a lot of it to force evokes who are committing their mana to that. Sorry, I think, uh, I, think, get there. I, think I didn't uh, ask my question right. My point okay. was, is that historically, you had mentioned how this deck would lose because they'd bury you in Titans, right? But now, mm -hmm. all of your answers redraw. So it's not mm -hmm. like, it's not like you're losing card advantage by killing this Titan. Yes, I guess you, yes, I agree. Yeah, I, it's a spot where like, maybe shifting up what the titan does to win might need to be the thing or like relying more on cultivator colossuses to like put a bunch of titans in play or a bunch of things on the same turn which was typically the best way to get through that um in the past but it's definitely a problem yeah i mean for me when i like something i said a little bit when yorion was legal and especially like towards when it got banned was talking about how I think that there is a real thing we learned as a magic community of what it means to have like the most resources available to you and how like 60 cards for consistency matters, but having like the, the bulk of the actual resources to play within the game uh, matters. And now with like the bean decks, because you're seeing so much of your deck all of the time, like that you're even mitigating the fact that you're getting to play more and more answers. Like you can have four Leyland Binding, four Solitude, four Solitude, four Fury, like, you know, what these commandeers and like force negations and everything. Like you have so many hard answers to the things going on. And as much as Amulet can overpower getting interacted with, and I've even found like as Scam, like the Amulet matchup is close. It's uh like, I think Scam is favored. 
but there's a lot of games where like Gambit just draws it like does its thing and I don't have a terminate and then the Titan like runs away with the game. It's really different for the four color decks because just solituding there's like what seven cards in the deck that really actually kill you, maybe eight. You can solitude all those pretty easily, especially because you're gonna see half you back by the time that they're able to produce the third or fourth Titan. And you're gonna have to like like a cultivator colossus you can like pretty reasonably binding. It's only gonna be so strong and also it's not necessarily gonna kill you immediately. Like there's a lot of these things where you can kind of get the game into a demanding position and you're gonna find even though like Titans chain for Titans, it takes time with packs and things like that, paying for those. You're going to actually outpace and finding answers and having enough of the right answers to be able to like beat game of draws that aren't super fast and punish you for not having solitude. It's something where it's really, really hard for me to imagine like as much as I think Titan is still a good deck and it has those draws that win. It's hard for me to imagine thinking that like Titan is good against the solitude decks right now just because of the vast amount of card advantage they have. Yeah. When talking about it real quick, the the thing that like got into my head, I have to save my life. What am I gonna do to fix the problem is maybe Karn the Great Creator, where it's like that might be the thing where it like can find like basically it's one threat that is always two, and if they ever don't answer, it's a third threat. And then having things like Sundering Titan can actually maybe solve the problem because maybe you can make it where they're only evoking their solitudes and then they have trouble getting it down if you can chain enough threats. But that is like kind of a huge ask and involves things lining up right where it's like, all right, I'm gonna Karn, grab my Titan, and then you're gonna binding it, and I'm gonna grab my Titan, I'm gonna grab a Seiju to besage you it to get my Sundering, and then like blah 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 blah. Like that that is a huge ask, but it is the only thing I can think of that even gets remotely in the realm of like maybe I can win this like a ton instead of like you know a fair amount or whatever well so. I, th- I think we're kind of identifying that like the the way that you want to attack this deck is by having a, you want to beat them on another resource game right you're not going to beat them on cards you're not going to beat them on turns and so uh, one of the things that i wanted that i wanted to mention while it was talking is how force of negation i don't know how this will play out in a 70 card deck but like if like Tron was a prop kind of a problem child for all of the Omnath decks for a while there, and Force of Negation is like actually the best card probably in the format against Tron. I don't know if people know that. Uh that that's a huge problem if you're able to consistently have those. Uh and then the fact that you are still a bring to light deck, if it's actually a problem, you can put prum- crumble of dust in your sideboard. Like there's there's a lot that you can do for that matchup with the way that this deck is configured right now. Yeah, I want to say, too, because I, I was commentating the uh, Energy Finals. Some people were joking about, uh, like, Copium Crumbles or Dust or whatever in the chat to, like, fix Tron, because by the time you, like, bring the light for them, they've already had a couple turns, right? And I think what people don't realize is that it's not that Tron gets on the board early and runs away with the game against Four Color. It's that they don't stop drawing cards that matter whenever they draw an impact spell. So it's like your first two things almost never beat me. It's like your fourth thing that does. So I can go trade, trade, crumble and actually win where like, you know, against decks in the past or whatever, or non like four color decks, it is a problem when they go like car and the great creator. Like you don't answer it. I I was able to be drawn with with crumble the dust at that RCQ for what it's worth. And it's exactly what Mason said. You just like, you crumble their tower and now their hand is full of spells that they can't cast. And so well, in that case, I, they also had multiple towers in their hand, so it was really good. Uh, what's next, Mason? Uh, Yager's Poggers, which is a deck I really like playing. I think is really fun, and I do think it's kind of good. Um, I like wrote a whole guide on it recently, but 
the rise of the bean deck has made it a lot worse. Um, I, I had someone in coaching actually, uh, well, this past weekend was great for coaching for people. I, one of my people won with Scamp, so congratulations to Victor, and shout out to Daz, who top eighted, or sorry, top forward with Yogg. Um, so it's a deck I do think can do well, but you have to play really well to consistently beat the Scam deck, and your Cascade deck is okay as long as you're drawing your Shieldreds and Bowmasters, and I've been a big proponent of, like, the Yogg-Wonk deck moving more towards, like, green mid-range that has a couple of Young Wolves and a Strangler guys for a combo. Uh, and less like Bulgari combo that has a backup mid-range plan, if that makes sense. Sort of leaning into what Abe said the problems were before in Scam versus Bean, but now having a combo finish instead of like, all right, and now my Fable flips, and we get to rumble on some more. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, back when Lord of the Rings came out and they started being this, like, Bowmaster's ring deck, it really showed that the Yawgmoth, like, the, the tools to make Yawgmoth a really powerful deck are, like, what, Grist, Yawgmoth, and Creatures? And so that's a pretty easy thing to port into a lot of just, like, useful ways, right? Like, Bowmaster's still a very good card. Yawgmoth still controls a lot of the decks and also, like, allows you to hang in terms of card advantage with a lot of decks. Makes it so you're never Bowmastered. And Soul Cauldron especially makes it so that you're, like, incredibly resilient as long as you're drawing material at all. And I think to kind of, like, just like in Legacy where the Elves deck kind of turned into a I-have-material cradle deck. Like, this is kind of the same thing, but rather than generating a ton of mana and then using that to get ahead on that axis, like, it generates a ton of cards and, and eventually gets this end game of, like, comboing. But it does throw the problem where it is full of cards that are, on average, much weaker than, than the opponents. If their synergies are broken up, like, the important cards can just get answered and your deck doesn't really do a lot. And it is really, really difficult to navigate in a lot of matchups that aren't, like... And especially being in a spot where you're both getting targeted by Fury and Solitude, like being a creature deck in a format like this is just really tough. And it's really testament to how strong the Yogg deck is at its foundation of being versatile, that it still succeeds. Because I like it's like I'm still afraid to play against sometimes because if you don't have that correct lineup of like Furies or ways to answer that Soul Cauldron, like the last thing standing for Yogg will be incredibly powerful. But the more that they can enable those last thing standings, like the the better the deck gets and otherwise it's like if you can dismantle those pieces of it it really doesn't doesn't get off the ground i just want to say that i always underestimate how good grist is going to be when playing with or against this deck and if you are like me and you're like oh it's fine like you know like i i don't need to worry about, like it always takes over the game in a way that i don't expect because it doesn't it, it it's like it doesn't matter the turn it comes into play it matters that it's left there when the dust settles and it's, uh, I, I think that that is a huge, I think being being a core deck in this format is a huge benefit because you're the only one getting to be the toolbox deck right now because people are have dropped their Karns other than Tron. And so you you get to be the toolbox deck now. Like ev even the Bring Delight decks, they're not toolbox decks, right? They're just like, they're, they're I mean, they're not even playing a Supreme Verdict right now. So like, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot to be said about the benefits of court. I, I will say this though. It is interesting to me that I think that Yogg went from its best position to not its best position so quickly that I don't know that it's time to put it down. I don't know. I, I haven't played it as much as Mason though. So I don't know if I would, I mean, we have not mentioned a deck yet that I would tell someone 
if someone came to me and was like, I'm going to play this in an RCQ, do you think it is reasonable? I would have said yes to everything said so far, even if like, I don't think they are the best thing or whatever. You know what I mean? Sure. So, and for what it's worth looking ahead, every deck that we're going to talk about on our main list here, I think is a reasonable deck. So, yeah, I think, I think like, that's a good caveat to have. Like, yeah, this is really the reasonable deck rundown. Uh, and like, I think that part of the reason that Yogg is so is such a reasonable deck is for kind of the same reason that the next deck we're going to talk about, Harden Scales, is also a reasonable deck. In that, like, both of them tend to amass resources that make it so that the top of their deck is really live. And so, like, when it gets to that stage of the game where like it it has the stuff lying around it can beat things like grief or like fury or like you know that last card solitude obviously when some of those decks are firing all cylinders it's really tough but it has the tools to really win in those positions and especially against decks like scam where they don't have the the safety valve of solitude to really answer that last thing cleanly i think it's really an important distinction about like scales and i know we talked about it a couple weeks ago mason about scales specifically and, like, I personally felt like it was a little clunky, but the more I've been playing Modern from the perspective of Scam, the more I'm seeing that it's actually not so much of a death knell against so many decks to be a little clunky because there's a lot of pressure put on by Scam existing to, like, be resilient to just having to play off the top of your library, right? And same with Solitude to a certain extent. If your opponent isn't, you know, if they're, like, a one-ring build and not, like, a beans build, or they don't have the answer immediately, like you'll be in positions where you're just kind of waiting for the game to really kick off in either direction. And playing off soccer library effectively is something I think I really look to in decks that I think are among the reasonable crowd, right? Like if you're going to be a deck that's going to be competitive in this format, you need to be able to be top decking and have really, really potent draws uh, or be a deck that is enabling that. Like I think that scales gets to not only have access to Urza Saga to be able to kind of punch through and generate resources to beat those axes. But like when you have two or three scales effects in play, anything you draw can really do like so much damage. It can just be so much live and with like a cauldron and like a ravager there, like your opponent can just die like out of nowhere. So it's really, I think it's a really important distinction about this segment of the format. That's kind of the, the reasonable but maybe not the the first tier grade decks right now the kind of like ones that exist to prey on a portion of the metagame why that is and it's because it has those kinds of potent undisrupted like just draws that are are, are so much i don't know how you guys feel about that no i think it's a really good point i'm glad you brought it up i was kind of looking at the data while you were talking abe and the it looks like from uh, about 106 matches played um, in fact, of the matches that Rakdos had in this data, 100 matches played, its only red matchup is Hardened Scales. Does that align with what your guys' thoughts are on kind of how how most of the matchups play out? Yeah, basically. I would guess that Rhinos is probably uh, closer to red than not without looking at it in this moment. I would say the same with Merktide on average, but... Yeah, I, I think I think that if just just so you know, for the sake of like you know talking a little bit more about scales deck, scales deck. Thank you. Is it's really hard to break up a synergy 
when the whole deck is the same synergy, right? It, it's not like it. It's it's not like another synergy deck like we just talked about. You know the synergies and like the piece individual pieces of Yogg, and that's not how scales works. It's just a synergy aggro deck that all of its pieces work together, and, and they do it pretty seamlessly. Yeah, and it's unreal hard, too. I actually have all my cards in paper, and I'm going to be playing it at FNM this week. Let's pray that I don't, you know, miss more than two or three things a game. Um, but I think that goes hard, and players will get better at it, and that's going to, like, probably affect that, or, like, maybe it's, like, even better than we think it is. I, I also think that um, Patchwork Automaton is a card that I was a little lower on before, um, but, like, as I've played more with the deck, just, like, ward two is such a yeah, large it's number so good. yeah and it just like makes up for a lot of that clunkiness too where it's like you kind of play it and you're like this didn't really do much it doesn't really do much and then suddenly it's like oh yeah i've kind of got to answer that and this and that like opens the door for you to get me um and so i really like that i will say my biggest problem with scales and mind you i literally just bought all the cards so if you're hearing this and you're going to put your scales cards down I just spent a bunch of money buying the deck, so I don't think it is bad. But it does have the distinct problem of it is bad against graveyard, artifact, creature, and enchantment hate. And that means everyone has something for you, and you have to know what people are playing. And if you do not study the format and you're playing scales, you are asking for a bad time. You need to learn what players can reasonably have for you and what they are playing at that point so that you can try and maneuver around those cards the best you can. I will say that Scale's worst matchup is, like, basically out of the format in creativity, which is nice for you. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think that what Mason said about it being hard is true. I can't count the number of matches that I've co-piloted or piloted with this deck where I just don't know what to do. And I'll also just echo your, your statements about the patchwork. The thing is, Tarmogoy with Ward 2 for some reason, and I don't think that that is fair. I also want to say something, and this is not disparaging of these decks. I, Some Magic players, this place Ginger, would argue that this is an argument against these decks. I think it's an argument for these decks. The last three decks we mentioned, Amulet, Yogg, and Scales, I think benefit from this a lot, that they are, like, keyword confusing. And players who do not engage a lot against them, even if they are veteran players, struggle. Like, people who you probably listen to for advice or whatever in podcast form or, like, around the world, like, struggle with things like, what does the amulet actually do? What like what can they actually do from here? What can Yogg actually what can scales actually do from here? And like if those people are struggling, like the average person's gonna struggle a lot, and you're probably playing against the average person because that's how average works. And like these decks do get an advantage because people are not used to playing against them. So just a, a thing I wanted to highlight. Uh let's move on to our next deck, Rhinos. Uh, this is this is a hard deck for me to I've, I've now played this deck uh, a few times. It's a deck that I considered, actually, for my RCQ the other week. And I have an RCQ on the fourth coming up, and I'm wondering, like, there was a tweet that said, I don't remember who it was by, but it was like, hey, if your Cascade effects are not are putting beans into play instead of eight, eight power, you're doing it wrong. And I think that is clearly not what's happening here. I'm kind of curious to your guys' thoughts on is there a reason to play Rhinos versus other Cascade decks? Because right now, one of the Cascade decks has completely fallen off. Like a deck that three months ago people were talking about was, or maybe four months ago now, people thought might be the best deck in Modern. 
And this deck then followed it as maybe the best deck at Modern. Now we have a new Cascade deck. What What's going on with Cascade decks, and where does Rhino sit in it? I mean, my thought on Rhinos is still just that it's trying to do kind of the same thing Scam's trying to do and play like an efficient answering early game and then like based on the free spells and then put a clock into play and close, except it does it a little bit worse. And then also, but like the upside of it is that it gets to play like a little bit more instant speed, be a little better against uh, maybe like against like four color, especially ones that are playing. Uh, you know, like the one ring, things like that, where you can actually kind of interact on the stack with them. And that was strong, but that's really shifted away, right? Like now that they're casting into beans, they're just going to like brute force you, not care about your rhino tokens. You're also not going to get, you're not going to get a positive exchange on them because their card advantage is so cheap. And so like, I don't know, I've actually been thinking that I think Living End is like two or three weeks away from being just in a really good position, the way I've been seeing people like rebuild their sideboards and reconfigure things. Like I know I've been thinking of Leyline of the Void as kind of slowly becoming one of the worst cards in my sideboard. I think a lot of the four color decks, they're still playing like an endurance or two, but most times they need that it's for their own like their own graveyard, not as like graveyard hate piece, and they don't have a lot of good dedicated graveyard hate. There's not really a graveyard deck out there. And I think a lot of the rest of the format is, like, trying to play to the board in ways that Living End would be good for. And so if I was going to try to do that angle of, like, I'm going to have an instant speed threat that's going to do everything for me, that would be my place to go. But I think Rhinos is just a little too... It's kind of, like, falling behind the times in terms of what matters with the two pinchers of the format, right? Like, it used to have a, a good angle on one of them, but since that one's like become more lean and really un- like leaned into Beanstalk, it's been a lot harder for it to find a favorable position, at least in, in my experience. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you mentioned like, w- like what is it doing? And I think it is like being the tempo deck in the format uh, and being able to interact on the stack more um, where AM is much more like a stompy deck. That that's my sort of thoughts. I think Rhinos is fine. I think a lot of subtleties in the deck make sense. I think it's pretty good. I actually think Doomwick's idea of adding Shield to the deck isn't even the worst thing I've heard. His mana base is though, so figure that part out. Yeah, I I liked this deck a lot before Beans, but I actually think that like one one the fact that the Beans deck rather than the old Omnath variants. I mean, I guess they're kind of adjusting now, so this. And they can adjust whenever they want, but the fact that you now have Fury and Solitude both along with, you know, just playing a bunch of actual 4-4s, it just makes your 4-4s not keyword big anymore. It's just so easy to block them that I'm not not about it. I I really think subtle, like, I'm always surprised people play less than four subtleties in their (laughs) Renos decks right now. You're such a believer. it's just, it is good against every deck we've mentioned so far. And then people are like, I don't know. I don't think it's very good right now. It's like, it's good against Scam, pretty good against Beans. Yeah. Good against Titan, good against Yogg, good I against love, Scales. I love it, man. Stand on your soapbox. You, you've you earned it. Yeah, it's, it's just weird to me. I don't know. All right. Let's All talk right. about uh, top two favorite decks in Modern that I can't play. And we're going to talk about Merktide. I do. I actually want to give a caveat. I do. I actually don't think this is a reasonable deck gamer right now. I would like to hear why you think that. 
So, yeah. I, while historically Marktide was like a 50-50 deck against like different versions of the four-color deck, uh, I think that both the Cascade version and the Bring to Light version actually dumpster this deck. It looks like, I don't know how they're combining the data on the website that I'm looking at, but it does say that four color has a 64% win percentage against Merktide. And I the the problem the problem that I that it's that's happening, especially the Cascade version, is like okay, so like are you gonna counter a beam? Like obviously you have to. Okay, so now they have a 2-2. Uh the that's gonna happen again and again. And like you just can't pull ahead in the ways and like have the game be equal in the way that the one for one Jund deck that is Merktide wants to happen. And that's even true of the Bring to Light version, where like, you know, if you they can sequence their spells in such a way, because they're playing beans and rings and whatever, that like, okay, well, I have to counter this. Well, now I get got by that. And then the fact that they all of them are now playing Teferi too, like there's none none of the versions aren't playing Teferi anymore. Uh, it's it, it's it's rough, man. It's rough in the streets for Merktide. In addition to that, like I do, I do think this. I do think that Merktide is, you know, it's it's got a favorable Rakdos matchup. Like that's factual, but I don't think that it's favorable enough to just lose to a quarter. The like not a quarter. Uh, the fifty percent of the meta game, pretty easily, in the form of of Omnath and. You know, you 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 are already a fifty fifty deck, and you know some of your best matchups like creativity are gone, and yeah, I, I I don't I'm not a believer. I wish I was a believer. I would just play it tomorrow. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing Murtide has going for it is that against Scam, I think it is a favorite. Maybe like not a huge overwhelming favorite, but I do think that the matchup like is is on its side and i think there's a lot of the decks that are gaining in um gaining in popularity and gaining in metagame share like um I don't know, like domain zoo or um even some of these creature decks that have a hard time with murktide in a way that answers things way scam can't like i think they're actually a little bit ahead in some of those matchups where scam might be a little bit behind but i do think all of you're saying about like four color is really true i think that like the Merktide versus four color matchups have like before it was kind of this oh who's actually ahead who's behind you know week to week and then that was like back when Yorion was legal and now it's like no it's just not even not even close I think it's like really hard for for Merktide to be like hanging in those games but outside of that I think your matchup spread is like not the worst I think you have a lot of game against a lot of decks and even even with four color like it's still winnable and I think that there are still builds where you are more favored than others. You know, like you have, you have a lot more game than others. And the, like, you know, the Merktide plus Counterspell is still a lot. And like Ragman on the play is still a lot. You know, like these things don't just stop existing just because in the aggregate, the games are bad for you. And so you always have a lot of game, even if specifically the four color matchups are not good. So I would consider it like a reasonable deck, but Compared to where it's been, it's very far below where it has been recently. You know, I think, like, between Bowmasters and, like, the way the four-color decks have become built, there's a lot of reasons to say Merktide is in a bad spot, but it's still just a really strong deck. Like, the blue-red cards are still very playable, and you can still win a lot of matches with them. Yeah, I, I, I like what you said there about how, like, 
this historically might be an all-time low for Merktide, but like that low is still like in the outside range of playable. And like sometimes it's hard for me to differentiate my experience in matchups with what the like aggregate is, uh, specifically in matchups that I feel like are solved once you know them. For example, like Merktide uh, versus Four Color, and so. To me, it's just like I haven't thought the matchup has been good for like a year and a half, and it hasn't been a moving factor. So that doesn't change that it gets worse, but it might just be that also it's even more worse than I thought it was before, and that just makes it like an untenable matchup. I, I, I know it, that uh, Twinless... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just saying, I think it used to feel like a player diff matchup, and it does not feel that way anymore. Uh, I always thought it was super easy if you just, like, once someone told you what to do, which was just to play bingo, like, you have 16 removal spells, they have three cards that matter, just don't get got, and, like, you will just win the game. And once you, like, had that information, the matchup was just trivial. But I'm sure there's some out of players that goes on in there, of course. I'm oversimplifying it a bit. Anything that's bingo and magic isn't true. But what I was going to say, though, is I think I, I like what Twinless Twin did with his deck at the energy uh, team event that he won um, where he had like main deck subtleties and forces and was like leaning more and like, I am less of a gen deck and more of like the tempo deck. And I'm trying to play that role. And that's how I'm trying to su- uh, survive these games. But that's also like the same week as this, the bean deck was starting to break out. So like maybe his opinion on things has changed. I know he has the Merc guides YouTube channel where he has like, weekly uploads on Merktide, uh so he's got some great content there so if you want to check that out do that but um yeah i, I think Merktide's reasonable i wouldn't really want to play it i think i would take every deck above this list on the Merktide. but if you paid for my rcq and my lunch and you said i gotta play Merktide, i'd be like giddy up you got a long day ahead of me well let's talk about what we play uh i want to just mention really quickly none of us would play hammer time that's why we didn't talk about it so you know leave your leave your comments don't you know don't speak don't speak for me don't i've got some crazy stuff i'm working on i'm just waiting for a slide in the dms mason i got i got a lot of a lot of i got driving to and from events but i haven't been able to synthesize it down to a to a deck list yet i got four giver runes four surge salvation in my main deck no esper sentinels in my deck if you can't if you can't that's the right direction to go all right i think i don't think four surge is the right direction to go i gotta make that clear I don't right, think you actually fine. lose to like the the scam stuff so much that like that's the card you want. It's, but but what would you, what would you play? Eight? I would be playing scam. I mean, I've been playing scam. I've been really enjoying it. I think it's just you know super cool, awesome magic. So you know that that's what it stands for. That's what that's what it does. It just wins a lot, and uh, it's really really enjoyable to play. And the games are really really challenging. Even the mirrors are good too. I mean, I've I've really grown to, to enjoy playing the deck as much as uh much as hammer is my favorite deck to play probably ever period i think this deck's pretty fun too yeah i don't know that's uh it's hard to get me off of the idea of a deck that just has decks that gun for it that still feel very winnable but are structurally difficult because if they're gunning for you they have to then succeed in all the matchups that are not you to arrive at you and then even then you're still like what maybe a five percent dog or something i don't know can't be that bad how are you mason um i think that if i was having them in max winning i would play beans or scam 
Um, and when I say being sorry, I mean Cascade. That's been a problem of mine recently. Is uh, I call them like bring decks or bean decks. Um, it is awkward. I am unsure which. I agree with what Abe said. I do think the four color decks are very strong. Uh, and it's it, this is a funny thing. I said this to somebody this weekend. And they're like, yeah, of course you think the four color deck strong. I haven't really played four color outside of like two or three weekends in the last like year and change, which like. I like those decks, guys, and they made me a ton of money, and my win percentage was insane. But like, I, I ain't just out here like simping for Omnath. He's he's got to earn me. It's a ninety ten his way. You know what I mean? So, anyways, that that's sort of where I'm at. And uh, if if I had to pick a deck that wasn't one of those two, hardened scales, I would not hate if Hammer was on a reasonable decks. I I think it is really close to reasonable. It just has to change, and no one's willing to put the work in. And that, that's that on that. That's a Patreon exclusive. Get in the Discord. Talk to me and Abe. We'll see you there. Yeah, so for me, even though, you know, nobody asked, I would... I I would probably... I mean, like, right now, the answer is, is four-color. But I... One of the things that kind of, like, as I was thinking about this episode, other than other than Yogg and, and Titan... Which I, you know, are fine. Like, Mono Black Coffers sounds like it might be in a sick position. Um, I think it's it's probably good against our top two by, like, a, in my opinion, like, the S tier is those two decks. And then, like, everything else is below. And so, a Mono Black Coffers being good against the S tier. Um, and also getting to be kind of, like, you know, just, like, you know, a, a Karn deck and things like that has, has me interested. And I've always hated that deck, so if, if I'm feeling that way, I think there might be some truth to that. All right. I think Coffers is good. Good talk. Good talk. You saying that maybe we want to play a Coffers League? I haven't done that yet. <laughs> but oh I love God. to love Coffers. That's one of my favorite cards from like. Here's the thing: like, I, I think the deck has been kind of mopey and like whatever, but it actually is good against those two decks. Yeah, Bowmaster and Shielded are good against both Ring and yeah. Scam. Like, th- those parts are, like... Yeah, so, like, I don't know. <laughs> I've been, I, like, I off of the too- Coffers plan, but, like, I don't know. Like, I, it's not a big mana deck, but it's, like, a big enough mana deck. Exactly, you know? exactly. You get it's it. about how you <laughs> use your mana. <laughs> I've also never played against the, the Coffers deck. Still? Nor have I, like, nor have I, like run into it in coaching. And it is just, like, this black hole in my magic spot right now, and I refuse to, like, play it myself because I want it to happen naturally. And it's a really weird thing. You know, you uh, can play it. I have to watch some of it natural. in the wild at RCQ, and uh, I was learning things. It was about what I expected. Uh, if you want to ask questions in the podcast, one of the best ways to do that is join our Patreon. Uh, if you're a patron of $5 or more, you get access to the Discord, and you can ask questions like this one. What are some things that you couldn't go to a tournament without, i.e. water bottles, snacks, or whatever comes to mind? This comes from Joaquin, by the way. Abe, I'll let you go first. I've seen you at a tournament. I, I, let me go first. I've got a lot of favorite things to bring to magic tournaments. Big water bottle. Can't live without that one. Headphones. Big music between rounds. Rounds person. Deck of cards. Play some cribbage. Maybe find some other way to entertain myself between rounds. Not a huge bring snacks person. I'm usually a buy snacks person or bum snacks person. Constructive criticism, uh, wristbands. I don't go to events without those these days. The amount of listeners. 
respective listeners who want to want to get in on the, on the goodness happening here. Yeah, I don't know. Positive mental attitude. I don't try to enter match more without that. That's for sure. So yeah, it depends on the event for me. Like if it's a pretty big event, I'll typically go to the grocery store and get like either like one of those power pack snacks, like you know a meat and cheese thing, um, as well. Uh, I'm a I, I'm with I, Abe and I are just like we've got our we've got our same we have the same water bottles, so like we're we're ready to go. We've also got the good lid on it. No, it, that means that means no Stanleys people. You can't bring your Stanleys to a magic tournament. It doesn't doesn't work. It's got to be. Wait, what are you looking at me like that, Mason? What's in Stanleys? Do you know what a Stanley is? No, that, that's why. I just, so I don't know. If you, a second ago, I said, "What's a Stanley?" Oh, so I was, was kind of wanting to know. What was. So instead oh, okay. of a water bottle, it's a cup. So, so yeah, no Nalgene either. Yeah, Nalgene's washed. That's so. I can't believe people still swear by Nalgene's. I got a Yeti. I've looked at this now. I've seen these now. Yes, sir. So, yeah. So, water bottles pretty high up there. I'm also, like, a big playmat guy. I, I, the one thing that'll end up happening at any big magic event for me is I'm just, like, like people will just take your space and it does not belong to them. And when you have a playmat, that just doesn't happen. It just, it doesn't. And I love that. So, a uh, big playmat guy. And then I also am going to have the Constructor Criticism wristbands. I, I walk in, I just start throwing wristbands at people. I'm just like, take it, obviously. Uh, no, but uh, water bottle snacks, like I always have like granola bars or whatever on me. I actually forgot them this weekend for the Lorcana Apex thing, and thank goodness we had an untimed round, so I just ran out and got food and came back. Uh, and so that was a fun little moment where it's just like, I gotta go. But um, Mason forgot to say a Sharpie. A Sharpie was the answer, Mason. Oh, I mean... You know I keep that thing on me. I'll say this. I don't do things between rounds, really. I made a new magic format this past weekend. I had, like, Nathan Stoyer play it, and he had fun. And that was cool to me, but I did not want to play it. Like, it was... I do not want to engage in games between rounds. I am very I, much like... I, I would mean, watch Venture play a Switch, but I would not play a Switch. Dude, uh, the funny thing is, is I used to love to play magic between rounds at, like, Grand Prix and stuff. And when I stopped mm-hmm. doing that, I had so much more fun at Grand Prix. So, it's about the gathering, people. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, don't forget to check out the Patreon Discord or the public Discord uh, for the Heasy Game Media uh, stuff. Uh, YouTube comments are one of the best ways to join the conversation. Uh, we read them. We love them. We appreciate them. You can follow the show on Twitter at uh, CCMTG. We're also on TikTok, Threads. Uh, yeah, all, all the places. All the places. You just look for CCMTG Pod or CCMTG. Don't forget to check out Sam Black's podcast, Drafting Archetypes. Abe, were you disappointed that this week's was black green instead of some random thing concoction from his head? It wasn't just like, these are, <laughs> you know, all the cards that say Scry 3 on them that play together and form Exodia, yeah. Sad to have a real, a real format, a real archetype in the format. <laughs> he went deep this one. He went deep this one. Uh, where can people find you, Mason? You can find me over at Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me each and every week at Card Kingdom writing an article. This week I wrote a lot about four colors. So if you're curious about that, I got a lot of thoughts over there. You can reach out to me for coaching. I do have some availabilities left for November. You can do that via my Twitter, which is once again, Mason E. Clark, or my Gmail, which is the same with just Gmail at the end, put coaching at the byline. That way I know where you're coming from. And yeah, Abe, where can people find you? 
find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings uh and also at more nothings at gmail.com you want to get some coaching because mason's too full up for uh the month of november because he's so popular and so talented and spencer is so selective i'm you know popular talented and unselective so uh well i'm sorry i'm unpopular talented and unselective so you know i'm really the middle market guy for you but yeah that's where you find me how about you spencer I am selective, but I don't feel bad about it. You can find me at Spencer13. Oh, no, that's not true. You can find me at Heasy Game, baby, over on Twitter. Uh, you can email me at SpencerHowland at gmail.com or uh, DM me for coaching. I have quite a few more spots now. Um, I'm opening it up uh, a bit more, focusing on that. I had some uh, great sessions last week. Um, everybody re-upped. Um, so things things are... Uh, going in the direction that I that I'm looking for, yeah, hit hit me up for that, and then you can also find me on the Need to Nerd podcast and the Smash Three podcast. Thanks everybody so much for listening. Uh, before we go though, what did you learn this week, Gabe? I learned about Stanley Cups. That's what it. I didn't know about you learned I, about I the hockey. You learned about the hockey championship, the Stanley Cup. No, 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 Whoa, no, no. That's not. Wait, so I was talking about those at the tournaments. I thought it was these like. Water Can you imagine somebody being like, I need a drink during my magic tournament? And just like having the guy that rolls out the Stanley Cup from the NHL and like, hmm. mm-hmm. that'd be great. Right. What about you, Spencer? What did you learn? I learned that my daughter is a cutie that wants to be on the show. Ah, don't grab that. No, I, I honestly, like, I kind of learned a lot about the the pace in which modern can progress uh you know people often are like oh you know modern's kind of can get stale like things and you know after lord of the rings people were convinced like things need to get banned and like you know the format was stuck where it was and i think every time we've talked about modern since lord of the rings the format has shifted a lot i learned that neither of y'all have ever heard of super cool and awesome magic (laughs) what super cool awesome magic Rakdos, super cool, awesome magic. I don't know what that is. We talked about the deck so much today. Oh, I didn't know the super cool and awesome magic. Oh, scam. that's what SCAM stands for. Wow, that yeah. was way over my head. There you go. Way over my head. Well, thank you. Everybody. Yeah, I don't know why Wizards doesn't want to promote that name. It seems like a really good thing. It's such a great name. I don't know why they hate it. <laughs> thank Follow you. the money. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We'll see you all next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism.